Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, author and conference speaker Micah Van Hus takes a look at the antediluvian world and the overwhelming proof that the flood of Noah happened and changed the earth forever. Did you know that Watchmen on the Wall is listener-funded? This program you're listening to is here because of you. Your prayers and financial support allows us to bring topics and information that few will discuss. So thank you. Thank you for supporting the truth. We have many resources available that show how to have true clarity in the midst of all this chaos. Simply visit our website to learn more, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Now, let's join Micah Van Hus as he takes a look at the antediluvian world and the overwhelming proof that the flood of Noah happened and that it changed the earth forever. I'm Greg Patton. So glad to have you with us today at Southwest Radio Church. We have a special guest, one of those on the inside, if you will, talking about our own Micah Van Hus from Southwest. And we're excited because uh, he has so many things to say, and I just got a ton of questions I want to ask him. Micah, welcome to Watchmen on the Wall. Thank you for having me, Pastor Patton. It's good to be here. Hey, some special things. Before we get into your your book, The Earth As It Was, some really exciting things have been happening in your life. Maybe you can tell our audience. Well, awesome. To, uh, not this morning, but the morning before, uh, my third daughter was born, Scarlett. And so I've been at the hospital the last two days. I'm running on a little bit of sleep. So it should be a fun interview for sure. That is great. How much did the little shaver weigh? She weighed seven pounds, 11 ounces. Wow. And three girls, huh? Is that the third girl, did you well, say? third child. Uh, I have two girls now and one boy. My oldest, yeah. oldest daughter, Dixie, she's absolutely loving holding little Scarlett. I'm sure she is. And the wife's doing okay as well. She's doing well. Fantastic. That's great, Micah. Again, we're so grateful that you're uh, on the program today. I, I want to find out a little bit more about you. I'm with you all the time as we do conferences across the country. And of course, when I'm down in Tennessee, I see you quite often. But uh, I'm not sure I've ever heard your testimony when you came to know Christ as Savior. Maybe you could share that with our audience. Absolutely. A little church in Carson City, Nevada. I was seven years old. And after a sermon uh, one Sunday, realized um, that I needed Jesus uh, as my Savior. And so I remember uh, at the water fountain after church asking Jesus to come into my heart at seven years old. And so I went to Pensacola Christian College uh, about the age of 18, and it wasn't until I read my Bible from cover to cover at Pensacola Christian College that I had I felt that Jesus was real to me. It took me reading the Bible through to, to feel a, a real relationship. I was saved at seven, but then I realized that, you know, um, as I read through the Bible, that the things I had been taught my whole life, there were some things that were not in the Bible. You know, just because a Christian says something or because a pastor says something, that does not necessarily mean that's what the Word of God says. And so I learned uh, at about 20 years old that the Bible was my foundation for life. You hear all kinds of off-the-wall things going on in churches today, possibly the lukewarm churches in the book of Revelation, and the false teachings that are going on. And so you ask 
you know, any any person, it's like, what is your foundation? Is it what the words of a, a 50, a 60-year-old human is, or are the eternal words of God that he wrote down? I learned that the Bible is my foundation at Pensacola. Amen. So did you come from a Christian home then? I did. I was kind of raised in a Baptist church. My father and mother, uh, they were saved at, at young ages from Johnson City, Tennessee. Yeah, so we were. I grew up in Baptist churches. I'm curious, you're more known for being a real troublemaker in Tennessee. And I, I say that as a compliment. The liberals don't like, you've been in politics, how long? Well, I was a state representative for eight years for half of Washington County, Tennessee. A lot of the listeners to the program, they definitely know Matthew Hill and then his brother Timothy Hill. Matthew Hill was Tennessee state representative for the other half of Washington County for eight years. And then in 2012, myself and his brother, Timothy Hill, both got elected to the Tennessee House of Representatives in different districts. So Matthew, Timothy, and myself, uh, we represented a lot of Northeast Tennessee and the Tennessee House of Representatives until 2020. I enjoy being a conservative. I I believe in my values. Uh, But one of my favorite things about being representative, I was able to talk about God from uh, platforms, and nobody could really question me on it. So I had a college once try to try to shut me up on it, and I, you know, I was able to talk about it, and so it was, it was a good experience. And that had to really be good, to be with the uh, the Hill brothers and you and um, all of you conservative oh, Christians. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> terrible having to be with the Hill. No, no. No, we had a good time, and we caused, we caused some trouble. And sometimes, actually, when you talk about causing trouble, the war in Tennessee is not between Democrat and Republican. The Democrats are the vast minority, so really the war is between the conservative Republicans and the moderate Republicans, the the rural Republicans and the city Republicans. And uh, we had to cause a little bit of trouble to get some good stuff done, um, and it was a lot of fun. Let me ask you this, uh, even before we get back to I got a couple of really good questions here I want to ask, but should a Christian be involved in politics? And those that are listening uh, say, hey, I don't know whether I should be involved or not or who I should be involved with. I assume you believe a Christian should be involved. Absolutely, Christians should be involved. I was off in wartime as a Marine in Iraq, and so I always told the Hill brothers, I said, you know, politics, you know, there, there's one side in your life where you're supposed to turn the other cheek, that side of it, and then there's the war side where I believe as a Marine infantryman that Jesus says to protect the innocent, and I was uh, completely at peace with what I was doing in Iraq as Marine Corps infantry. So I was told Hill brothers, politics is somewhere in between those two. And there was a lot of political fighting that went on in order to get good things done for the people. So absolutely, Christians should be involved. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I really, uh, I appreciate it. You served how many years in, in the Marine Corps? Eight years, uh, 2005 to 2013. Wow, that's fantastic. One of the things that I note uh, every time you get up to speak, you recognize the different branches of the military. What brought that about? Oh, well, I, I appreciate the service uh, of those folks. So um, when I came back, I have one combat deployment, which is, you know, what I would call, I, there were three deployments I had that were not, I wouldn't consider them combat deployments. So when we got back from the combat deployment here in Northeast Tennessee, we did lose a few Marines, two of them from Tennessee during that deployment. So the welcome that we got when we came home, people were lined up from the airport to the drill center in Northeast Tennessee. I mean, just nonstop, just people everywhere. And it was I know that the the folks who served in Vietnam in that era did not get the welcome home that I did. And so I am very thankful, not only to all veterans, but also to the generation of veterans that went before and did not get thanked like I got thanked. So I'll take this opportunity to tell 
the veterans that are listening, all veterans, thank you, but specifically uh, Vietnam-era veterans, uh, you did not receive the welcome home that I did, so thank you for your service. I appreciate it. Amen. Again, well, thank you, Micah, for your service to our country. It's just a, it's an honor to know you, and uh, again, so thankful that you uh, served eight years, my brother. Listen, your book, how long have you been interested in things like the earth and the way it used to be? How, how many years back do we go? I've talked to some who, uh, back in childhood, they had an interest in doing some of this stuff. How far back does it go with you? Over 20 years now, my brother Clayton Van Hus showed me in Genesis chapter 6, we're talking King James Version here, Genesis chapter 6, where what Clayton was saying was, is that there were giants in the earth in those days, which Genesis 6, 4 says. But Clayton showed me, I think it's Genesis 6, 8, or 6, I think it's 6, 8, but it could be 6, 9, where it says that God chose Noah to survive the flood because Noah was perfect in his generations. Yes, he was righteous. I had always been taught that God chose Noah because he was a righteous man. But really, if you read the King James or read the Bible, God chose Noah because he was perfect in his generations. In other words, his bloodline had not been tainted with what we just read seven verses earlier, where the Baneha Elohim, the angels, came from heaven, slept with women, and had a giant offspring. And once I learned uh, about God choosing Noah because he was perfect in his generations, uh, I started studying as much of this stuff as I could, uh, and that's been 20 years now, and I've been reading books, uh, studying everything I can, and I love the topic. How often do you uh, study? And when I say that, uh, being a politician, you've got to study a lot as to what's happening in your given state. There's a Tennessee legislature, uh, legislator, excuse me, and yet you seem to be very well-versed, so you must have spent a lot of time in the Word and other books. Absolutely. And of course, now it's my, my full-time job. I, lo- I work for Southwest, and this is the best job I've ever had. I get paid to study the mysteries of not only God's Word, the universe, um, everything. And so, like right now, I'm writing my third book, Secret Societies, obviously about the secret societies. We're talking Illuminati, Freemasons, Knights Templar, going all the way back to the beginning of secret societies. I'm getting a little preview. The beginning of secret societies was the Tower of Babel and Nimrod. In fact, the Freemasons even say as much that Nimrod and the Tower of Babel is where it all began. Uh, Fascinating stuff. So that's what I'm studying right now, 40 hours a week, other than this week because I had a baby. So uh, back to 40 hours next week. And uh, I just love studying this stuff. That's great. Just joined us. We're talking to Micah Van Hus from Southwest Radio Church, one of the team members there swrc.com. If you want to get one of his books, we're going to be talking about the earth as it was in just a few moments. You can get it 1-800-652-1144. Once again, that's swrc.com or call 1-800-652-1144. Let's talk a bit about the earth as it was. What got you down that path? And then how long did it take you to research the material for this book? As far as writing the book, it took me about six months now. I've been studying this stuff and fascinating this stuff and taking notes for 20 years now. I've got notes on every subject, UFOs, just anything and everything that's mysterious about God's universe. Um, I've got notes on it all. So I mean, I've been taking notes on this stuff, the giants, different things for, for decades. But as far as r- sitting down and starting at chapter uh, preface and going all the way through, it took me about six months. I just love, love studying the topics. Um, it, it was a fun book to write. Going through the uh, various book tables when Southwest has their conferences, for some reason, yours stick out. And uh, especially this one is the Earth. I said, that is really cool. And I want to know who designed that for you. 
I do design my own book covers, my art. Now, uh, for The Earth As It Was and my first book and my third book, Secret Societies. So my first book is Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them. It's got Anubis, uh, the Egyptian god, on the cover with a ziggurat. And then The Earth As It Was has the three-headed Leviathan under Noah's Ark. And the third uh, has a Knights Templar in battle with the Illuminati, the Illuminati symbol or the all-seeing eye in the clouds. Those three I paid uh, uh, folks on Fiverr uh, after I designed them to put it together for me. Uh, my fourth book, which I've started writing as well, uh, I did the, the cover with AI art, and that is uh, Angels Eternal, a very cool-looking cover, which you can see uh, all of them at MarginalMysteries.com. Again, MarginalMysteries.com. I have a minor in graphic design from 20 years ago at Pensacola Christian, so uh, graphics is another thing that I love. So I do have a little bit of a fantasy flair in the art. Um, I'm okay with that. I'm okay to push the boundaries as long as it does not contradict God's Word. So I enjoy that kind of art style and plan on continuing forward with that art style. There's a couple of us that end up, for some reason, uh, being a bit controversial. After we speak, people <laughs> challenge. And uh, I know you and I have been picked out a couple of times. I don't know why I am, because yeah. everything I'm saying is correct. And <laughs> but I know, yeah. I know they get after you a bit. Why is that, do you think? I think there's a couple of reasons, and I'm okay with their reasons. I will say, and I agree, and I think most people, most Christians would agree, that Christ is the center point of history. Christ is the center Amen. point of the Bible. And it is yep. important, imperative for every single one of us to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. That is excellent. I love studying the lesser-known talked-about topics, the mysteries of the Bible. I believe that if God took the time to put it in his word, that it's a worthy study. Jesus himself says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. He also says, to be ready for his return, it comes as a thief in the night. How can we be ready for the return of Christ if we don't know what it was like in the days of Noah? These topics, uh, the lesser talked about topics, uh, another fair point, I believe, is, you know, yes, some people don't want to talk about this, but I'd rather talk about the mysteries of the Bible than the latest football scores. People want to talk about sports, and that's fine. I like sports, too. But I don't see anything wrong with talking about the lesser talked about topics as long as you're rooted in God's Word and you're not contradicting God's Word. There's a lot of things that are outside Scripture that are not included in the inspired Word of God. For me, the 66 books that we have are the inspired Word of God. There are books other than the 66 inspired books that I think are correct history, but I will never say they're inspired by the Word of God. Uh, the Book of Enoch comes to mind. Uh, the Book of Jasher, uh, for instance, is not in our canon but the book of Jasher is mentioned by name twice in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. So things like that, and then the, we might get into a little bit the stories from those books that intertwine with Scripture gives those books a little bit more backup, but I will never say that they're inspired by God. The book of Enoch, I, I really hadn't heard that mentioned before in all my travels, all of my speaking, and uh, you brought it up the very first time I heard you, and I thought, okay, where's he coming from here? What do you gather out of that? What basically do you use out of the book of Enoch? So the Book of Enoch is at least, uh, dates back to at least the 3rd century B.C. from the fragments we found in the Qumran Caves. So we know it's an old book. Uh, we know it's old. It's not uh, one of the uh, modern books from the church, from church history, early church history. So when we read Genesis chapter 6, it's one of the most mysterious chapters in the Bible. I'm going to get sidetracked on Psalm chapter 82, but let's start with Genesis chapter 6. It says, The Benaha Elohim, which is Hebrew, the sons of God, came in unto the daughters of men and had children among them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And there were giants in the earth in those days when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. And then it goes on to talk about Noah and choosing Noah to survive the flood. 
That is just a ton of fascinating things in just a few verses that the Bible, the the Genesis, it does not expound upon. Well, the book of Enoch vastly expounds upon it, and generally what it's talking about there in the book of Enoch, there were 200 watchers who chose to rebel against Elohim. These watchers are angels. They chose to rebel against Elohim. They decided to come down to the earth, take on human form, and take women and have children with them. In the book of Enoch, it continues further. They teach all kinds of forbidden knowledge to mankind. Let me make the loop because there's more scripture than just Genesis chapter 6. So in the book of Enoch, the watchers, they, they take women, they teach forbidden knowledge, they corrupt the earth. Their offspring, the Nephilim, which are the giants, they corrupt the earth. And God uh, gives his four archangels that are mentioned. There's seven, there's eight archangels mentioned in the book of Enoch, but four of them we more generally know, two of them from the Bible, Michael and Gabriel, Raphael and Uriel from apocryphal books. They are mentioned as uh, casting the watchers into the prison, into the desert, uh, until the great day of judgment, 70 generations later. The Uriel is sent to warn Noah of the flood. Gabriel is sent to cause the giants, the Nephilim, the offspring of the watchers, to war against each other um, and kill each other off before the flood. And then the flood comes and cleanses the earth of the corruption. Take note that in the book of Enoch, they cast the watchers, the angels, into the prison in the valleys of the earth. Well, then we go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18, 19, and 20. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, and then he spends three days. His body is, is dead. His spirit goes into the earth. And the first thing in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 or 20, is he ministers or proclaims his victory to those spirits that made trouble in the days of Noah. So 1 Peter is backing up the story in the book of Enoch. There's a lot more. Um, the book of Jude quotes the book of Enoch, and that says, "...the angels which kept not their first estate, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day." Well, that's the book of Jude in the New Testament backing up the story in the book of Enoch. The book of Isaiah foretells, prophesies Jesus as the Messiah more than any other book in the Bible. Well, before uh, the book of Enoch was taken out of canon in the early ADs, it proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, in my opinion, more than the book of Isaiah did. And so the Jewish authors who were translating, I think they really wanted to get rid of the book of Enoch because the Jews who translated it did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Isaiah prophesies and talks about the angels which will be cast into prison. And so there's Old Testament books, New Testament books that are backing up the timeline of events that take place in the book of Enoch, and it's, it's fascinating. Um, when I talk about the watchers teaching forbidden knowledge to mankind in the book of Enoch, it is backed up in Scripture, uh, and I'll get to that in a second. So the watchers teach makeup, um, alchemy, astronomy, abortion, metallurgy, weapon-making, armor-making in the book of Enoch. Well, there actually is a Scripture that does uh, back up the theory, excuse me, the idea of, wa- of angels teaching knowledge to mankind, and that's Revelation. I think it's chapter 21, verse 17, or it's chapter 17, verse 21, one of those two. It says, there's a man measuring heaven, and he's using the cubit to measure heaven. That is the measurement of a man, that is of the angel. So basically, that verse in Revelation is saying that the angels taught the cubit, which is an ancient unit of measurement from the finger to the elbow, that the angels taught that to mankind. And so fascinating things in the Bible that back up uh, what's going on. Obviously, people are very interested in what you have to say. And and the reason I say that is after you speak at our conferences, I look and there's a whole army of people around you. Generally, what are they asking you? Is there a specific thing or is it just a number of questions? They're sharing the, the things they've seen, the things they've read, the authors they read. They do have a lot of questions. I do get fascinating questions. 
I write down all the questions on my notes, and then I, I research. But there's a couple of questions that people have asked um, a couple of years ago that have made it into the presentations. For instance, so in The Earth As It Was, we do talk about there's a chapter on the Watchers, which are the, the angels. There's also a chapter on the Nephilim, uh, which are the giants. We read throughout Scripture. Um, the Book of Enoch says that the giants began to devour, before the flood, began to devour mankind and drink their blood. Well, actually, when we read, I think it's Second Samuel, when we read about the spies that go into the land, and, and that's the famous part where they carry out grapes that are huge on a pole, and they say, whereas grasshoppers in their eyes, there's something in that verse that I never noticed. It says, we spied out a land that uh, the inhabitants ate the people thereof. So that's fascinating in uh, Samuel, the fact that these giants are actually eating the humans, and that's exactly what they're doing in the book of Enoch. So just fascinating things on that topic. I already lost the question you asked me, but uh, I got off on that, and it was, it was fun. So what's the question? Yeah, well, the question was, again, uh, are there a number of questions that come to you, or is there something specific? Mm-hmm. And if so, what's the that's most right. asked question, or maybe the top two? One fascinating question that a lady asked me is she came up afterwards and said, could a Nephilim get saved? Now, let's let's separate. So when we're talking about these angelic beings and the giants, so the watchers are the angels that decided to rebel against Elohim. They are the Baneha Elohim in the Hebrew. The Nephilim or giants are the offspring of the watchers and human women. So theoretically, the first generation of Nephilim were 50% angel that had taken on human form and 50% uh, human from the women. Now, we can also talk about the next generation after those Nephilim had children that were 75% human, 25% angels. So, you know, it just goes down from there. And so she asked if a Nephilim could be saved. And I don't know the answer. I don't think that the first generation of Nephilim were because the Book of Enoch says that they became the demons that were on the earth. When their bodies died uh, before the flood of Noah, their spirits roamed the earth. And they said that Book of Enoch says there's no place for these spirits in heaven because heaven was made for the angels and there's no place for them on earth because they were made for the humans. So these demons, these spirits of the Nephilim, must roam the earth for 70 generations until the great day of judgment. And we know in Scripture that not only are we as humans judged at the great day of judgment, but also the angels are judged. And so I think that the demons, the offspring of the angels, this is probably also when they will be judged uh, at the same time, though I'm not 100% sure. Now, when Jesus goes to the tombs uh, at modern-day Kersey, uh, Israel, and Legion comes out of the tomb, he says, why are you bothering us, Jesus, before the appointed day? Fascinating. What is the appointed day that this demon is talking to Jesus about? Well, that is the day that they are to be judged. He says, have you come to torment us before the day? And so there's all kinds of little things in Scripture that are backing up what we're seeing. One more thing. Fascinating. This is Mark chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 24. Jesus calls a book Scripture that does not appear in the Old Testament. So it's the story where the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus, and they say, hey, if a man marries a woman and he dies, and his brother marries her and he dies, and his brother marries her and he dies, whose wife is she in heaven? That's Mark chapter 12, Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus answers them, and he says, know you not the scriptures, for they are as the angels of the Lord in heaven. They are neither married nor given in marriage. Well, the, the only problem with that is, is that there is no Old Testament book that says that. Now, The book of Enoch does say that. I'm not saying that Jesus is calling the book of Enoch scripture, but I am saying that Jesus calls some book scripture that does not appear in Old Testament. So just fascinating topics and things to put together. Very good, Mike. Appreciate that. SWRC.com, 1-800-652-1144. Again, if you'd like to get The Earth As It Was, or and you have a couple of other books too, right? Is that right, Micah? 
My first book was Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them, a fun book. It was about the theory that these ancient cities, the pyramids, ancient monuments uh, really could not have been built with human hands, but that something uh, more intelligent had to build them. And I think that was uh, the Watchers who taught knowledge to mankind. And so we go through that book. We go through eight, I believe, ancient cities from Mount Olympus to Rome to Eridu, where supposedly the Tower of Babel's foundations are, and talk about the gods that built those cities. Oh, man, I got a topic to get into, but we'll save it for the next episode because it's. I mentioned Psalm 82. Let's get into that in the next episode because I'll talk about that for 10 minutes. Psalm chapter 82 is the most mysterious chapter in the entire Bible, in my opinion. Read it, and it'll blow your mind of your concept of God in heaven, and we're going to talk about it in the next one. So Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them was about the gods who built the ancient cities. I'm writing two books right now. Secret Societies will be coming out hopefully in two months, uh, maybe three, uh, hopefully in two months, and then uh, Angels Eternal will be coming out early 2024, uh, where I talk about the spirit realm and the princes of the nations. So let's talk about The Earth As It Was. This interview is about the book, The Earth As It Was. That book I I came out with in March of this year, um, loved writing it. Um, We talk about the the modern-day proof for the flood, the different layers of strata, uh, polystrate fault. We talk about dinosaurs. So I believe that there are dinosaurs that still roam the planet today. I know that's crazy, and I don't really care. Politics, years of politics got me uh, numb to what anybody thinks. I believe that alligators are dinosaurs. One of the interesting things is scientists say that alligators are older than the dinosaurs, but yet the comet that killed, supposedly killed the dinosaurs, why didn't it kill the alligators? Um, so I do believe that we have dinosaurs today in alligators. Um, the Buru was a, a hippopotamus-type dinosaur that was last seen in 1954 in the Himalayan mountains. So there's all kinds of cool things about pterodactyls that people see and things that have gone on. Um, but here we are at our time, and we'll have to continue this on the next episode. I can't wait. Micah Van Hus, The Earth As It Was, ladies and gentlemen, available at swrc.com. You want to get several copies. 1-800-652-1144. I can't wait until tomorrow. Micah, thanks so much for being on the program today. Thank you, Pastor Patton. We're just getting started. Micah will have more insight into the earth as it was on our next program. What did the Nephilim do to Elohim's creation? Did humans and dinosaurs coexist? How did men live into their 900s? And what happened to the Garden of Eden? Who did Cain marry? Did a layer of water encompass the earth? In Micah Van Hus's book, The Earth As It Was, we study the firmament talked about throughout Scripture and the effects that it had on human lifespans and the size of reptiles. Join Micah as he takes a look at the antediluvian world and the overwhelming proof that the flood of Noah happened and that it changed the earth forever. Order The Earth As It Was when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order on our website, swrc.com. The Earth As It Was is a book everyone needs to read. 1-800-652-1144. Be sure to ask how you can receive free shipping when you call 1-800-652-1144.
more insight into giants, dinosaurs, and the firmament coming up on tomorrow's program. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Thank you.